So good to have you here. Uh, I have good news and I have bad news. What do you want first, good news or bad news? Okay, if you want the bad news first, put up your hand. Oh, boy. If you want the good news first, put up your hand. Okay. Well, I'll give you the good news, the bad news first. So uh, we have been, uh, we are pretty blessed with the quality of staff. (laughs) I know this sounds a little odd, but I mean, the staff under the senior pastor is really, really, really good. The senior pastor, but the, the rest of the staff is really, really good. But there come seasons and times when staff members feel that it is time for them to move on. And so this week, uh, Julie, our director of kids ministry, has put in her resignation, which will be effective uh, the, after the end of Adventure Camp in July. So Julie isn't being run out of town or anything. Julie, in fact, for a couple of years, Julie Lillian and I have been talking and praying about when her season would be done. Julie said, I, I'm just, I know my season's coming to a close, I'm not sure when, and then COVID hit, and she just put that discussion aside because she wanted to be with the kids and their parents and truly be there at a really difficult time, and she was. When churches were shutting down their kids' ministry all over, uh, Julie kept ours going and really found new ways to connect and pivot, and she did a phenomenal job. It came out of a love and a pastoring heart that she has. But now that we're kind of moving out of it, Julie said, I, I, I need to follow through and, and with the idea that this is the season is being uh, ending for me. And so I hate to have to make this announcement because I love Julie as a person and she's a fabulous director, uh, kids pastor, and yet I... I've been through what she's going through and I understand there's just sometimes God brings a season to a close in our lives and we have to follow him through it. And so I tell you that because we want to pray for Julie and Mike and their family as they walk through this transition and try to figure, okay, God, what's the next step for us? And uh, also pray for our Springvale Kids Ministry because we now are looking for who's the next person that's going to provide leadership, who's God going to raise up. So if you would be praying about that, and uh, if you know people, to certainly make that need known or na- make that name known to uh, Lillian. So that's the that's the bad news. Huh. It's bad news for me because Julie's really good. So the. Good news is, notice the chairs and notice the fact that we don't have to be distanced anymore and, and we're coming kind of to the end. No, we're, we're begin- it's not the end and it's not the beginning, it's kind of the beginning of the end, I guess, that to quote Churchill. And, and so we are kind of moving forward in our world and in our country and in our province in the idea of uh, getting coming out of COVID. Now, we're not out yet, and so I'm going to ask you to do what you have done so well. I'm so proud of you as a church, because this whole issue has 
wide range of opinions. We all know it. We, there, there are opinions on both sides, wide range, wide differences. And some churches have become battlegrounds of those opinions. But right from the start, our elders said, we are going to focus on Jesus first and his love for one another, and then everything else will come under that. You put Jesus first, and you love one another, and then you can figure out the rest. And you have done that, and you have done that well, and so I want to applaud you. Were we perfect in it? Obviously not. But did we do well? Did you do well? Yes. You did great. And so I'm just going to ask for that same spirit that you have demonstrated of love toward others, is that as we begin to move toward full integration, you'll notice there are some chairs that are wider apart and some are closer together. If you don't have any problems, sit within the closer together ones. You don't have to worry about physical distancing. On the wider part ones, just keep the physical distancing. The masks have to stay on. And I would ask that if you have an exemption, because some people do, don't sit in the close areas. Sit or, or don't sit in the wide areas, sit in the closer areas because we're trying to help people on the far ranges work through this whole process. So if you could do that, I would really appreciate it. But let's remember to keep doing what we've done. Put Jesus first, love one another, and then you'll know what to do, right? So let's pray together. In fact, stand with me and let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, I'm just thankful that we are, seem to be moving out of COVID. This is an answer to so many prayers. And yet, the, this was a time and a season where you were teaching us as individuals, as churches, as a country. Uh, there are lessons that have come out of this and will come out of this. And uh, we are just looking to you uh, for wisdom to know how to follow you. Thank you that the people of Springville were past the test of loving one another and not causing division and disunity, but instead we banded together, even though we had difference of opinions, uh, God, there was love and there was respect for one another. I'm so thankful for that heart in this church. Lord, we pray for Julie as we uh, move forward and as she moves forward. In these final months, she asks that we would pray she finishes well, and we ask that you would lead us, uh, lead her and Mike to an understanding of what the next season for them is, and that you would lead Springville and guide us to what the next season is so that all this, whether it's Mike and Julie and their family or us as a church family, we may give glory to you and be ready to see how you're going to work and answer our prayers. And now as we look in your word, I pray for a pouring out of your spirit so that we have understanding, both personal and uh, understanding and an understanding of the world in which we live. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So uh, when do you find that you complain? So um, I'll bet you complain most often when you're in a problem. Might be the problem with your spouse, might be a problem with your knobby friend, could be a problem with your pig-headed boss, could be a problem with that lazy employee, it could be a problem with the kids that won't listen to you, could be the problem with your parents that just won't pay attention and, and understand what you're going through. It could be a problem with your health. It could be a problem with your, uh, your money. It could be a problem with pain in your life. It, it's usually a problem that you have is when we tend to complain, right? Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, sure. But here, let, let's answer this question. Why do we complain? Because we always say complaining usually doesn't change anything. So why do we do it? 
So every once in a while I cringe because I have to tell you, you know, it's easier just to keep a, a persona up here and that you don't get to see through, but the, those, especially my family, know me that when I, I, I tend to, I gotta be careful about this complaining thing is what I'm trying to say. I struggle with this whole complaining thing. It's easy for me to fall into the complaining thing. And when I was younger, it was worse. And uh, I was, uh, I, I just started as a senior pastor and I went to a pastor's conference and I met this uh, other pastor and he was probably 10, 12 years older than me and we, and we had never met each other before and that we stood there for two hours just talking real, one of those times when you meet somebody and you just feel real connected. And I thought to myself when I went back home, I thought, well, I'm gonna keep calling that guy. That guy could be a great mentor. And so I would call him and I would, you know, complain about the problems and complain about the people, typical pastor stuff, you know, complain about all the stuff that we face. And on the third phone call, he stopped me and he said, Ed, whenever we talk, all you do is complain about your problems and complain about the people that are your problems, and yet you never do anything about it. Your complaining isn't helping you. Why don't you stop complaining and do something about it? That was my friend who just shared his thoughts with me. And I felt totally humiliated. Since looking back, I realized I felt humiliated because you know when somebody says something to you that really cuts, and then you go, it really cut because it was so true? That was that situation. And I realized that the, the, the complaining that I did enabled me to feel like I was doing something about it when in fact I was doing nothing at all about the problems that I was complaining about. So my complaining focused on the problems rather than focusing on a solution. And worse, my complaining focused on me rather than God and it allowed me to not act and do the things that God was calling me to do because when we're with God, problems become opportunities to grow. Now I wanna say that again. When we're with God, problems become opportunities to grow. Remember all those problems I listed and talked to you about? You know, your spouse, your work, your kids, your parents, you know. When you're having problems, when you unite with God, he will use those as an opportunity to grow you. Well, there's some good news. <laughs> See, complaining is not a godly option, and I'll show you why. So Acts, we've been going through Acts. Chapter six, we've been jumping in, and I've been specifically choosing uh, specific stories because I want you to get the big picture. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, stop, why would he say that? Why does it matter that the number of disciples are increasing? Because he's tapping into the mega theme of the book of Acts. There are, the stories that are in the book of Acts aren't in there because they're good stories to read. They're in there because they make a point and the whole book, 28 chapters, and all the stories in it are designed to move a theme from chapter one all the way to the year 2022. In chapter one, Jesus says to his disciples, he said, I'm telling you, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and then you are to be my witnesses. You're to go into the world and tell them about the good news of the gospel. What's the good news of the gospel? That 
Every person is separated from God from their sin. That's not the good news, that's the bad news. And for those of you that like the bad news first, there it is. The good news is that God in his love for us sent his own son and that God the son came to this world, became a man, died on the cross to pay for our sins, hence communion. His body represented by the bread was he sacrificed for us and his blood shed for us, cleansed us of our sins so that if we put our faith in Jesus, if we agree that yes, we're sinners and we believe that his death and resurrection paid for our sin and we choose to follow him, to devote our lives to him, then we are now forgiven of our sins and reconciled to God. That's the good news. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and you go. And as you're going, the Holy Spirit will work through you in amazing ways. Chapter 2. They're all huddled in the room, 120 of them. Then the fire, this wind and fire references out of the Old Testament of the anointing of the Spirit of God comes they spill out into the street. They're preaching the gospel. They're using tongues. All kinds of tongues of different nations that are around them are gathered. They're sharing Jesus. Peter gets up. He preaches. And 3,000 people put their faith in God. They went out. They did what Jesus said. They went out into Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit met them. And wow, it's just like people are coming to the Lord, and crazy things are happening now. Satan wants to stop that, chapter three and chapter four. He, his whole point, Satan isn't just against the church. Satan is against God from the beginning of Genesis and the plan of God is to rescue the nations of the world and the plan of Satan is to stop God because he holds in bondage the lives of the people that are separated from God. And so Satan's like, I'm not letting this church take off. And so if you remember, they go out and preach, they heal, and they're preaching, and the the leaders, Satan stirs them up, and the leaders oppose the apostles, and they bring them in, and they, they, they persecute them, they oppress them, and they tell them to shut up, and don't you dare talk, and, and you know, they're going at it, and they're telling them, you need to stop, and Satan is prompting this external opposition. And you remember how they acted? They went back, and then they, they gathered together, and they said, oh, we can't do this. This is too hard. People are against us. We can't actually share the gospel. I guess this church thing stops right here. No, they gathered together and they said, this is what happened. This is what they said. We're going to pray. They prayed. The place was shaken. And they said, let's go. And they went out and the Holy Spirit worked again. And people were coming to Christ. They overcame the external opposition. So Satan changes his tactic. Chapter 5. Remember chapter five I talked about two weeks ago, Ananias and Sapphira? Oh, if I can't oppose them, they won't listen to me or I can't stop them when I oppose them externally, I'll corrupt them internally. Ananias and Sapphira lie about money, they lie to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit reveals this to Peter, Peter exposes it, brings it to light, Ananias and Sapphira, dead, and then they're gone, and then we're told right after that, the church explodes again. The Holy Spirit pours out on them and does some amazing things, things they could never even have dreamed of. Jesus starts a church, 
They obey, Satan tries to stop it externally, then internally. Now we come in to chapter six, and the reason that Luke says it was still growing, because that's the mega theme. The, The command that Jesus gave for us, the church, started in chapter one, is keep going, and though Satan opposes it, it still grows. That's the message for you and me. The work that Jesus started in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, it still grows. And he still calls us to fulfill that mission. But Satan isn't done. So (laughs) he changes tactics. External opposition didn't work, fine. Internal corruption didn't work, fine. I'll come at it from a different angle. So in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them, so Hellenistic Jews this, there's a, a cultural thing going on here. The Hellenistic Jews are those Jewish people that adopted the liberal ways of the Greek, like the cultural ways. And, and, the, Hellen, and the Hebraic Jews were the ones that maintained the, the, way, the old, time-old traditions. They were still all Jewish, but they had a cultural shift in there. And so the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Did you get it? You see how Satan's working? They, what's the word? Complained. They complained. Now, they didn't complain against the apostles. They complained against the the Hebraic Jews. Now, it's easy to think, well, so what, they complained. Like, everybody complains. I mean, every church. Every person. Pastors. We all complain. I mean, yeah, it's not the best thing, but it's not that bad. Well, just hold your finger here, and we'll turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll see just how God does view complaining. Paul's writing, and he says to the Corinthian Christians, I don't want you to be ignorant about the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud that had passed through the sea. So he's referring ancestors, he's referring back to Moses when he brought them you know, through the, the, the sea when it divided and they were all under the cloud out in the desert. That's who he's talking about. And then he says they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud. Like they were all part of the congregation. They all ate the same spiritual food. That was the manna that fell. They all partook in the spiritual activities of the people of God. And they all drank the same spiritual drink. That was the water that came out of the rock. They all drank of that. They all drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, the rock that was Christ. He even shows that the the water from the rock was a, a picture of the coming Christ. And they all took part in it. They were all Christians. But in Old Testament, they didn't call them Christians. They were all followers of God. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Problem with the people. So what was the problem, Paul? He names three. 
He first says in verse six, idolatry. They worshiped, they turned from God and worshiped other gods. Oh yeah, that's a real serious problem, man. I mean, that's, that's one of the top three you could do against God. And then the next thing he says, he says, and then they committed sexual immorality. They, were, they went wild and they said, oh, I understand that. They're worshiping idolatry, worshiping another God, and then sexual immorality, say no more. I get it. We'll, we keep our hands away from that stuff. We'll never touch that. And then, then he says in verse 10, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by a destroying angel. I get the idolatry part. I get the sexual immorality part, but he, complaining is the third one. I mean, of all the sins he could have picked out, that was the one he picked out. Maybe God doesn't look at complaining like we do. Maybe there's a bigger problem for us than we realize. Verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for who? Us. For you and me. That's why they were written down. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. If you don't think you have a problem with complaining, be careful. Lest this is just ripping your spiritual life to shreds. And you don't even know. Let's stop for a second. Here's a question to ask. When you hear something like that from the scriptures. Holy Spirit, am I a complainer? Show that in my life. That, that would be the right response right now. As you're listening to the word of God and as we're walking through it, if you really want to hear from God, just between you and God right now, say, oh, okay, Holy Spirit, is complaining have a foothold in my life? Is that something you want me to address? Maybe I'm like Ed. I don't even know I do it, but I do it. Would you show that to me in my life? That's how you interact with a sermon. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you, or we come to a point like that, you go, God, is this true of me? <laughs> go ahead, pray that prayer. That's what the Holy Spirit wants. He wants an open door. Now, what was the complaint? The complaint was legitimate, right? The complaint, they complained that some of the Jew, Jewish widows were not getting food. Now, when we read this story, uh, so the 12, verse two, so the 12 gathered and the disciples uh, gathered all the disciples and they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, the term wait on tables, you remember when Jesus went into the, uh, maybe you don't remember, Jesus goes into the temple one time and he sees how the religious leaders are using God to get money from people and they have tables where money exchangers were. And they would, you could come in and you could exchange your foreign currency to get the really true currency like US dollars, right? You could change your Canadian dollar to get the true US dollar that really God, only God used to worship. And, and of course there was a big cut being taken place as you put your, your, your you know, Roman denarii or whatever that you had and then you brought it, they take a big cut and then give you a Jewish currency. So then you could truly worship. 
So Jesus goes in and whoosh, throws the tables. That's the same term here. So I always pictured, you know, the apostles are sitting around and the widows are coming up for their food and giving them the food over the tables. Or the, the apostles were going around the tables and, and putting food. But that's a very North American and our mindset. That was not what was happening. The widows would come for money to buy their food and the money would be given to them. And it was some of the, the Hellenistic widows were being uh, rejected because they were different than the Hebraic widows. That's called racism. 2,000 years later, the more things change, the more they've stayed the same. Somewhere in the administration of all this, there were people who were responsible for giving the money to widows who needed it for food, and they said, not to the Hellenistic ones. But what happened? the Hellenistic widows and their, their connections complained against the Hebraic widows as if the Hebraic widows were the one responsible for it. Complaining usually puts our focus on the wrong people, the wrong issue. I love the way that they resolve this problem. Now, racism is still a problem, right, in our society, we know that. Um, but the solution that they come up with is very different than the solution the world comes up. Because the world comes up with our, our solution. When you have a problem with racism, you give the power to the people who are being uh, prejudiced against, the people who are suffering, you give them the power, and then they can use the power to now oppress those that used to be oppressing them. That's the solution in our country right now. Sound like a really good solution. It's not justice, it's revenge. But the interesting example they give, they say, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Choose people that are godly and they'll take care of this in the right way. People are the problem, and people are the solution. You just gotta have the right people to get the right solutions. And how do you know who the right people are? They're full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. They have a track record of walking with God and being people of character and integrity. Put them in place, and the problems will go away. I was on a... was on a board um, for Heritage Bible College and Seminary. Some of you might know it. It, it, it represents uh, the Fellowship of Churches. It's one of the groups it represents. Not the only us, but it does represent us in our understanding of Scripture and teaching the Word. It's a great, it's a great, great seminary. It's had, it's had a huge impact in Ontario and the building pastors' lives. And I was on it several years ago. 
And uh, we, were, we were without the president. The previous president had resigned. It was, his season was done, and we were waiting. And, but there was a whole lot of problems. And we as a board were dealing with problems. It seemed like every, we had to have extra board meetings. And it seems like every board meeting, a new problem would come up. And we maybe get that solved. Three more would come up in its place. We had problems with finances. We had problems with uh, staff. We had problems with professors. We had problems problems with accreditation, like everything seemed like all the wheels were coming off. And every time we, we came to the meeting was more problems we had to deal with, more time, more energy. And we were getting weary of this over and over and over and over and over again. And I remember very clearly, Mike was the chairman and Mike was an experienced chairman and he was a godly man. And as we were going through it, he said, stop. I can tell you guys are weary and discouraged, but I just want to tell you something. When we get the right leader, all these problems go away. When we get the right leader, the problems will go away. They'll all be taken care of. They'll be dealt with. But a year after that, I remember that statement so clearly because I was ready to, you know, throw oars and leave. And um, it's a down east expression if you've never heard of it before. And so I, uh, I stayed on. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's hope. That's hope. And then about less than a year after that, we hired Rick Reed, Dr. Rick Reed. And that school turned a complete 180. And he provided leadership that began to solve one problem after another. And he, he was so effective, he and his team were so effective that our board meetings stopped being every two weeks and we went back to quarterly board meetings. You get the right people in the right place and you get the right solutions. Now the interesting thing about this is they, uh, the, the apostles say, it, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God and wait on tables, so choose the right people and we'll, we'll hand this over to them and they'll be responsible for the money, make sure they're people of character. And when you read this, it, I have read so many commentators say it's clear that their solution came from the Old Testament. Now maybe you're not familiar with the passage with Jethro. You know, um, there was a more famous Jethro than the one on Beverly Hillbillies. Do you guys remember Beverly Hillbillies, Jethro? Um, Jethro was the father-in-law to Moses, and Moses had taken the people out of, the land, out of Egypt, crossed the, through the sea, across the desert, and now you gotta start living life, day-to-day life, and then uh, we, are, we read in verse 13, the next day, so Jethro comes and visits him, and the next day Moses goes to work. He takes up his seat, he serves as a judge for the people, they stood around him from morning until evening. Just a big long line, right? He's trying to get his way through them. And when his father-in-law, that's Jethro, saw all that, saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? It's kind of like my mentor friend. Remember, like, <laughs> that's this kind of situation. Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? They're just waiting and waiting and waiting on you. There's one of you and hundreds of them, and they don't even get, some of them don't even, many of them don't even get their problems solved. And Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. And so, like, I'm the only one that can tell them what God wants them to do. And Moses' father-in-law, verse 17, replied, what you are doing is not good. And all these people are going to get frustrated. Their needs aren't being met. They're not being cared for. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. 
The work is too heavy for you alone. You can't handle it alone. Listen to me. I'll give you some advice. May God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes for him. What's another word for that? You gotta pray for people. You gotta bring the people's problems to God. That's called praying for people. That's the first and most important thing you do, Moses, is you talk to God first about what's going on. And then you teach them the decrees and instructions. You teach them the word of God and show them the way to live and how they are to behave. So you pray for them, you, you, you see what's going on and then you bring it to God and then you, God will give you the right words and you go back to them and say, this is how you're to live. And then he finally says, and then train up leaders. Get people who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens, and have them serve as judges for the people of all times but have them bring every difficult case to you. You train people and send them out. What did the apostles do? What was their solution? We can't stop praying, and we can't stop the focus on the word of God. By the way, if your staff don't have time to seek God and bring you his word, if I don't have time to do that, what difference are we than a sports organization? or a golf club. That's what makes us different, the presence and the voice of God in our midst. It's what gives us life. And he's here saying, the apostles are saying, we can't neglect prayer and the ministry, so bring us some leaders that we can pour into and let them deal with the problem. You know what that tells me? They didn't, I don't think the apostles just dreamed this up. I think they went and started, they knew about the problem, they sought God about it, and one of them said, hey, remember that time when, when Jethro came to Moses? Oh yeah, yeah, go back in the Old Testament. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. Remember I said to you, with God, problems are opportunities to grow, right? With God, your problems are your opportunity to grow spiritually, emotionally, mentally. Let me say it again. With God, the problems you face in your family, at your workplace, in your health, in living life, the broken car, the fridge that keeps going on the frets, the neighbor, oh, the neighbor, are opportunities for you to grow. And this is how the, the church, the leaders of the church, handle this problem. They seek God, it's clear. It doesn't say in the text they sought God, but clearly they, it, they took the answer right out of Exodus 18. Clearly they sought God. There's the difference for me. I got problems, but I'm not always seeking God about the problem. 
And I wonder if maybe that's your situation. Well, look at the results that come up here. So verse three. Brothers and sisters. I love it. So when we started the story, what was it? Hellenists and Hebraic people. Division. The apostles get up. Brothers and sisters. We're family. We're not different ethnicities. We're not different people groups. We're not different colors, though all that is true. It's immaterial in the church. We are in Jesus. We all belong to him. We're brothers and sisters. Doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. Your brother, your sister. That's an incredible message for us today, isn't it? That 2,000 years ago, the church dealt with racism by saying we're in Christ. Well, this, this is why the world can't do this. Because in Christ, we follow him, and he says you love everyone, everyone, regardless of what they look like, where they come from. You love them like you love me, like I have loved you. Brothers and sisters. You know, uh, I just got to say, um, 25 years ago, Stovall was pretty white. Like, it was completely white, 90-some percent, more. But over the last 25 years, there's been quite a change in the ethnicity of this area, both, you know, Stouffville, Markham, Aurora, Newmarket, Oxbridge, like, things are changing. People, different ethnicities have moved in. And you know one thing that excites me? Is when you get up and you look around today, you're gonna to see people that come from Asia, all parts of Asia, from the Malay Peninsula, China. We have some students who grew up in China and now attend our church. People from the Philippines, India, Sri Lanka, African descent, Caribbean, Latino. One of our newest members is from Brazil, him and his wife and children. You see, this church belongs to Jesus. He was, by the way, Middle Eastern, like fully Middle Eastern. He was born Jewish in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. He would not look like pretty well any of us. None of us. And this is his church. And he says to me, Ed, you look different than me, but I love you, so you can be part of my church. So how would I ever turn to somebody else and say, you look different than me. I'm not sure I want you in my church. Like of all the people in our country, in our world, Christians have the answer to the issue of racism. Jesus, love one another. I love this. I love love brothers and sisters right from the start. And the unity that this church has, Satan tries to divide it by the people complaining and divide them into groups. And the answer is Jesus and brothers and sisters and love one another. And they respond to the issue at hand in their culture like nobody else can. Kind of sounds like something we could do. Doesn't it? 
We're going to turn this responsibility over to them. This proposal, verse 5, pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They chose, you can tell by their names, some Jewish, some Hebrew, some Greek. But what, why they were chosen? People of character. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed. They laid their hands on him. Now watch. Here's what the result of the way they handled By seeking God and listening to his word and hearing him, here's the result that Luke wants you to know. Satan wanted to divide the church and by, through complaining about different groups and everybody focusing on the problems and nobody focusing on God. And so the word of God spread. See, that was Satan's goal. Stop the word of God from going to people in the culture and spread. This thing is getting out of hand. Stop it was Satan's plan. God's plan. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The people that were most opposed to the Christian church, they're being won over because the Holy Spirit, as they obey, the, as they obey Jesus, the Holy Spirit then comes in and begins to use their obedience in ways they could never think of. So, Time for me to take these two things. First thing I want to talk to us as a church. The mission of Jesus from Acts chapter 1. Go and be my disciples. I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. As you obey me, the Spirit will use you. That's the way it works. It doesn't work the other way around. I'll wait here till the Spirit forces me to go, you know, get into a conversation or do an act of love or be a voice for Jesus. When the Spirit so compels me I can't resist, then I'll do it. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. It's when you go oh, in obedience, then the Spirit will meet with you and use you. So that's what, who we're, and, and Satan will try oppression, getting people against you to stop you will cower because of that. He'll try internal corruption. He'll try to get you involved and me involved in secret sin to keep us ineffective and grieve the Holy Spirit. Or he will develop a complaining spirit in us. To think my complaining spirit could grieve the Holy Spirit and stop the church from moving forward. This is another one of those times to ask the question, Holy Spirit, have I, have I let, you know, am I cowering because of the oppression and I don't want to go forward or, or is there hidden sin in my life that nobody knows about but, but it's stopping me from obeying you or am I a complainer and because of my complaints I've really stopped and grieved the Holy Spirit? That's the question to ask right there. The other thing I want to leave you with is this. With God, problems are opportunity to grow. So you know the problems you have in your marriage or the problems you have because you're not married and you want to be? Now, let me time out, a little caveat here. I don't know, we don't say this enough. The majority of people in our culture and most cultures get married, but singleness is a gift and a calling from God. And some of you are single. And it's not like you're lesser, 
uh, than anybody else. In fact, Paul goes, well, if you ask me, I think being single is better than being married. Like that's in the Bible, chapter seven, 1 Corinthians. And sometimes we don't say that enough. And I think if you're single, you're dead center of the word of God and the will of God for your life. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with you. Some are called to be single. It's not a problem. Unless in your heart you really want to be married. And then that becomes the problem, right? But being single isn't the problem. Being single but wanting to get married is your problem. And so in that problem, or the problem with your kids, or the problem with your boss, or the problem with your neighbor, or the problem with your health, or the problem with pain in your life, all those problems, when you walk with God in those, they will become opportunities for you to grow. So here's the Holy Spirit question you can be asking. Holy Spirit, what problem am I struggling with and complaining, maybe even complaining about, that you want me to grow? Help me to seek you. Because that's how they solved this thing. They sought God. Got into his word. God spoke to them. Your problem that you're facing, if you take it to God, will become your opportunity to grow. Jesus, uh, the words that I just spoke, I believe come from you. I believe they are the true rendering of one of the principles of this story. And my prayer is that whatever you wanted to speak to whomever of us that you wanted to speak, there would be freedom of your spirit. Would you come upon us as we seek you and guide us? For those that are dealing with really difficult problems right now, God, I pray for the faith, for their faith to be able to trust you that in time as they seek you, you will turn this into an opportunity for growth for them. Grant them the strength to trust you. And for us as a church, I pray for your spirit to come upon us so that we will obey what you've called us to do and we will be a voice for Jesus in the world around us. In your name I pray, 